Hi, I'm Adrian Maiman from the podcast I'm Also. This episode is a collection of clips from my guests from season two. It's a bit of a sample from each episode. The complete list of interviews can be found at imalso.co.nz. It's I-M-A-L-S-O.co.nz. Thank you to everyone who's been a guest and listened to the podcast. Janelle Hosking. Um, I did a bit of study a few years ago to do with health coaching, but the thing with health coaching is, you know, when you hear that, you kind of think, well, what is that? And I don't know about you, but I'm not really interested in telling people to eat, you know, more salads and more veggies. And I mean, definitely do that. And that's what I do, but it doesn't um, excite me to tell other people to do that. And it so be, it doesn't be, it's not exciting to be told that either. No, and I mean like eat whatever you want, you know. I was I was cooking dinner last night and I made the most healthiest dinner and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna have some wine with this. I mean, I'm not the type of person to tell somebody what they should and shouldn't be eating. As long as you're not um constantly eating cake and making yourself want to throw up, you know, that's a different story. But Anyway, um, with with that health coaching, they teach you the concept of holistic well-being. And so within that, there's lots of different areas. And one area that I really love is to do with finding more out about yourself and your passion in life and what excites you and what is what it is in your life that makes you really happy. And so I think that's why my job at the factory is so great because I work with people who are passionate about these business ideas and obviously that makes them really happy. And so in my personal business, I'm working one-to-one with people who are going through some kind of maybe major life event or something's happened and they're just realizing, actually, what am I doing? you know, why am I here? This doesn't make me happy. And they're at the point where they're trying to, I guess, rediscover who they are and and who they want to be in the future. So that's the people that I'm working with at the moment and absolutely loving being in that space. Evan Pope. Uh, And you toured Japan. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did tour. That was, that was uh, kind of autumn of uh, 2018. So yeah, a year and a half ago. And what did you getting out of that experience or uh how many gigs did you play we played a lot i think we were there for 16 days and we played like 13 or 14 gigs we did a lot of gigs in the time that we were there you know we're a punk band so we're not playing these epic arenas we're playing you know little dive bars with 50 people at the gigs but that's kind of the punk scene and that's very fun they look good I, yeah i really enjoyed that kind of stuff because as an en- as a sound engineer i spend so much time trying to make things sound really nice for people and getting things to sound really neat and, and be able to hear everything and and making things sound kind of really cohesive. But it's nice being able to get in my punk band and just make horrendous amounts of terrible noise and just unleash. And it's it's a good it's a good uh, release for me. And how was the Jap- Japanese audiences? Were they responsive to your... Yeah, the, the Japanese audiences are incredibly honest, which is really, really neat. Like if you play a song... And they don't like it. It's just silence after you play the song, yeah. you know. So you you very quickly learn what songs in your set are good and what songs in your set are bad. Like regardless of if you like the song. So yeah, after so the not first even polite clapping it was just nah. It's just like silence. But that being said, they really uh, they really seem to enjoy originality. So anything you play, if you're playing original music, they seem to be into. Because oh, yeah. Which is which is pretty cool, and and yes, I should get back to that. Have you, have you, what's the sort of the best sound gig you've been to? 
the best sounding gig yeah. I've ever been do you, to. Do you go to the oh, gigs man. and go, hmm, let me just listen to the quality? I, 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 I definitely do. I definitely, and it's something I, yeah. I, I probably, actually, I went to see a band called Me First in the Gimme Gimmies a while ago, and they were up at the power station. And I remember, like I said, they were up at the power, which is mm. a venue that I think sounds, is one of the better sounding venues in New Zealand. And, and that sounded really good. Um, but best sounding, no, nah, I couldn't. I, I well, yeah, I, I want to. Don't really know. I mean, there, there's. Oh, you know what? Here's one. Um, and this is this is. Uh, I do like I do a lot of these festivals and stuff, so I I do have a chance to listen to other sound engineers working. Not this year, so not not Bay Dreams 2019. Oh no, no, not Bay Dreams 2020, which has just happened, but Bay Dreams 2019. So about a year ago. I watched Tikitane mix Shapeshifter, and it was the most insane sounding thing I'd ever heard in my life. Like, that man is a genius. Like, an absolute master of his craft mixing. And he was on and, and he was on a PA system he'd never mixed on before, a brand new PA system this company brought in, um, and it sounded phenomenal. Probably the best I've ever heard a festival sound. And it was, yeah, it was insane. Denise Arnold. Yeah. And what are the main goals of the Trust, its main areas it works in? Well, we work in education and the focus is to ensure that children get access to a quality education and they call it basic education from grades one to nine, so that's the equivalent of our primary and intermediate schools roughly. But um, for me also the the goal is to break the poverty cycle and to protect children from trafficking. So that's kind of like the subtext. And you're also teaching teachers as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a really exciting step for us. So we've got um, a number of schools that we support and obviously a number of children in those schools. But we've gone to a national program now at the request of the Ministry of Education, Youth and Sport to train the actual teacher trainers. So the next generation of teachers that are produced and graduate and head out towards teaching can actually teach. So the impact is enormous when you start teaching the actual teachers. For example, when those graduate teachers start working, there are 1,600 of them roughly a year, and each of those teachers will reach a classroom of a minimum of 40 students, and I have seen classes with up to 75, so 40 is pretty minimal. That's 64,000 children a year that will get a better quality teacher and that's every year that that teacher teaches for every cohort that graduates. So it rapidly climbs to having a very big impact. And your um, the funding model, well, raising money is kind of, um, well, it's unique, but all the funds go to the charity, don't they? There's no sort of... Yeah, there's no costs from this end, so 100% of funds that are donated go to the programs in Cambodia. And, you know, that gives a lot of my friends and colleagues and our supporters confidence because they will, for example, donate $500 for a library and then they get a photo of the library that they've donated and, you know, it's cost the $500. So we are all volunteers. I pay my own way when I travel. Um, We cover a lot of the costs for the team on the ground when we're there. I've got a quote from you. Oh, I've got a quote you said. Oh, your quote you use from Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, light your candle. It is better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Yeah. 
And she, Eleanor Roosevelt's quote is really important to me because at the stage when I was trying to decide how to have an impact in the world, I felt really overwhelmed because there's so much stuff that's going on out there. And then my mother-in-law told me about that quote. And I thought, actually, it's much better that I light my own candle than curse the darkness because it's much easier to be overwhelmed and curse the darkness than you think. It's, it's daunting to take on something out there. But if you just light your candle and if everybody else lights their candle, you can push back a lot of darkness. And the thing I've learnt working in Cambodia is... The economics of the situation are that it doesn't take a huge amount from New Zealand to have an enormous impact in Cambodia. Dr. Lee Han Jong. Every day you're working? Yeah. yeah more. Day, okay. more. Because in Taiwan, we are the. Uh, we, oh, like a responsible. Responsible. Yeah. Yeah. We have a responsibility. So every patient is our, our duty. Yeah. So. But the Taiwan health system is, uh, I would say, very good. Yeah, Taiwan health. With the national health. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone, basically, the government kind of pays, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Health insurance is uh, yeah, very, very insurance. good. So uh, most, uh, more than 97% patient was included uh, national health insurance. Yeah. So if uh, it just uh, uh, just need to pay 10% the, uh, the medical fee. Just like uh, uh, two months ago, a um, patient had a huge tumor, but it was not our, our country's people. They come from the violent. They work in Taiwan. Oh, sorry, came from where? Vienna. In Vienna, there is no health insurance. Mm -hmm. It must uh, pay many, many money to treat his disease. But in Taiwan, it can use our health insurance. This, uh, this tumor is very huge and very hard to be treated. I underwent two surgery for him. But uh, when I when he wake up, I found his his limbs was weak, totally paralysis. Mm, but I think I I underwent the surgery very very success successfully. Yeah. But I don't know why it will be weakness after operation. Weak. I, Sorry, weak. Yeah. Weak. Weak what? Oh yeah. yeah paralyzed. Paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, completely. Yeah. But last uh, two weeks ago, he recovered very well. Just only uh, residual some weakness. So it's, I, I feel very, very happy. Yeah. yeah. Copperfield. Shout out to David Opapa. David Opapa for sharing us the harmony in Mother Nature. Love Absolutely. You, love you, Uncle. Yep. Favorite original songs. What's your uh, creative writing process? Oh, okay, I've got this. So. <laughs> Sean will come up with an idea and then bring it forth to the band and then him and Matt will argue for like two hours and then we'll have a song and it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rigorous process, but it works. What happens if you can't decide? Um, There's never no deciding. Yeah. There's either one person over overrides the other person's authority and goes forward with the idea. For the or record, we come to a, to for the record it's not the Sean who brings ideas forward to the band. Well, it's not. Yeah, well, yeah, that's like vice versa. Matt will bring an idea... They'll argue. 
Callum will bring an idea and I was like, yo, and then they'll start arguing again and it's set. It's, it's yeah. like I said, we're still jelly. It's up. magic through chaos, Mark. Do you bring your music first or the lyrics or is it like a music? Um, it, it, it kind of depends on what the song is. Generally, it, like like the rhythm guitar, or like I'll, I'll usually write like the rhythm guitar or something and then um, in Logic kind of make all the other instruments and then bring it to these guys and they'll be like, oh, I don't like this, this and this and they'll change it out. So yeah. Like, a lot of the time I'll do the skeleton for a lot of songs on my own and then just kind of bring it to these guys. And like for me, I remember like we, um, cause we did like a little trip up to Coromandel uh, last, summer. last summer and cause I remember I came, the day we came back I had an idea for a song and that started off mainly as the words and I was sort of had another song in my head kind of going off that using it as like an inspiration to kind of get me started <coughs> and kind of give me a pattern to follow, like mm. the lyrics and whatnot. And then I sort of had this sort of thing half done. I was like, Shane, oh, look at this. He's like, I like this, but I want to change this, this, and this, and this. And I was like, no, <laughs> I want to keep this much song. And that's how we had to kind of had to learn how to work together in terms of songwriting because... Like, we're pretty good now, yeah. I, I reckon. Because you, you don't want the songwriting to be like one person controls everything about one song because you don't get the best out of it <coughs> all the time. Yeah. The only reason it happened like that is because I was a solo artist for ages, so I had to kind of learn. And I wasn't... Oh, I didn't well input. know enough about songwriting anyway. I was kind of just winging it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess we, we'd actually talk about how would you describe your, your music as a band. Oh. oh, oh, I had it in my brain the other day. Here we I, go. I came up with a really good name, but it, I can't it's a, it's, a, it's a big melting pot because we don't confine ourselves to one singular genre. Because the opposite, like, I mean, not, no offense. As most artists do, though, but yeah. I mean, like. Like, not, nothing, nothing is guys who do that because it's just for us, though. We just like kind of playing with all the fruits of the forest because then you can kind of. I would say. Get a lot of inspiration out of it. <clears throat> um, just psychedelic rock, but like. With drips and drops of, of different flavors. Josh Powell. Because maybe it's pretty far. Could you explain your? Because you have a like you're the whole day there. Can you explain mm. your your day? Yeah. On a wedding day. Yeah. So we'll get there at like 10 a.m. to set up, and we'll be there till 1 a.m. at the finish. You know, like we'll finish at 12 probably, and then pack up. Take like 45 minutes. You know, so so it's so a typical day we'd set up and then. Um, um, we'd normally have to set up like, cause I offer, um, me playing at the ceremony for like acoustic solo and in the afternoon I'd do like a couple hours, few hours, like acoustic solo. And then, um, the duo, like me and Nick will play after dinner. So the reception and, um, if they do the whole package deal, then we'll be there like, yeah, from the whole day. And, um, it's Nick from our previous, one of our previous yeah, shows. Nick Ruinui, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he plays drums for me in a band called Pow Wow. And, um, just from my last name. <laughs> that band name just came yeah. out like, we were just thinking about it at Vroco, like outside, we were just like, yeah. I remember I saw oh, that, that now, sound I, thought, good. I, thought that, I saw that and I thought, man, that's genius, that name. Yeah, and yeah, I, it didn't take long. I mean, oh. <laughs> there wasn't, much, brain, there wasn't <laughs> this, much brainstorming. This is last name. Yeah, yeah, you know, it wasn't, yeah. But like we, we I, I say it like, like powwow is like a meeting of people in like, you know, American Indian culture. You got a powwow. Like a, I think that's right. I don't know. Push a Google that, but I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I just say it like that. It's like a you know a gathering of people getting together and having a party. Mm. Mm. You mentioned you do busking. Um, mm. I did, yeah. I did. I do now, but like a charity busk now. Yeah. I'm doing like charity busking now because like I used to do it for like five years. Yeah. And then yeah, I mean, now I'd, I'd, I'd be walking in town and then you'd be here. So I'm like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where was that in Devonport? Like yeah, that street. Yeah. I, was, I had one spot there and then I used to go outside Bees and Buttercups and Mount. And that was oh, my like, yeah, Sunday one. Yeah. So I'd go to town on Saturday and then Mount on Sunday. Yeah. What's the key to being a successful busker? Bringing in the money. I think it? really 
choosing your spot wisely is really important because that, that, that's why I went in that place in Devonport Road because it was like I didn't have a speaker. I had like a, a guitar you can't even plug in. Like it, my strap yeah. was, when I started, my strap was duct taped to my guitar because I didn't realize you could get pins put in and then just strap it on. Like that was that ignorant. Like it was that early on. I was like, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, but this spot had like great acoustics. So I had no speaker or anything. So I went in there and I could just like sing normal level, not have to push too much. So I could sing five, six hours. And yeah, so so spot, yeah, um, a really good spot, like with good acoustics or like you want good walking traffic, but you want maybe like benches around or like somewhere people can sit and actually watch you. Because if you just got walking traffic, people, a lot of people are too busy. They're just, they won't stop and listen. Um, that's important. Um, I think taking regular breaks, like don't push it too hard because if you're there for like a six hour session, just I took a break every hour like I do now. But I think it's just, you can give more to the song like over time. Yeah. If you like pushing it too hard for too long, it's like. Did you have your sort know. of like say your money songs where you sort of? Uh... Oh, well, that's the thing. That's how I kind of like shaped my set for like a bar. From busking was like those the songs that people were really giving money to. I was like, okay, that's my like main set. Sort of like and that, research, yeah. sort of. Yeah, without that's what I mean. All this stuff was like without even meaning to it. Just kind of naturally happened. It's so strange. Like, yeah, Ron Stewart has this cool Japan thing going, and they're trying to move themselves as a major tourist destination, and there's been Japanese studies programs pop up all over the country. So it's possible to actually teach and study Japanese studies here in Japan now. And with manga, there is uh, about 20 universities that have manga courses now. Uh, most of them are actually drawing courses, but there's a few that actually have like just classes um, where they're teaching uh, I guess manga and using literary theory or uh, just teaching the history of manga as, as part of media studies classes. And in my case, because I'm in a sociology department, even though I'm not a sociology major, um, I'm stuck with a class on, on manga and sociology. But my, my actual research is mostly manga history at the moment and political cartoons. What's your definition of manga? Because I saw some of these conferences you've been to and often the first person seems to be saying, answering the question, what it is. Ah, yeah. The, um, was it at the British Museum this year? They had the, oh, last year, sorry. In, uh, they had the big exhibition, probably the largest held outside of Japan of manga. And the symposium they held was called What is Manga? And I yeah. was actually on the program for that. But... Um, the problem with manga is the word has been used different ways over time to mean different things. And today it tends to mean comic books. Uh, but So uh, up until about the 1970s, uh, television animation was called terebi manga, TV manga. Uh, the animation at the cinema was also called uh, manga. And uh, political cartoons were called manga. The first use of the word manga was, in a modern sense, was to, to uh, translate the word caricature from English. Uh, but uh, comics has become the main thing and it's gradually taken over. So uh, it tends to mean comics. Usually in Japan, that means um, stuff published serially in uh, weekly magazines and in a book form. But it, but it also means Western comics, like Superman. If you saw, show most Japanese people that, some will call it a comics. 
comics, but most people will say it's a manga. So anything that's in a comic form, we'll call manga here. Will Johnston. This big decline, and it's not cool to get married. And why would you? Because you live with someone for a year, and then you're financially married anyway, and all that kind of stuff. Yes. But uh, weddings are becoming cool again. With something like 800 weddings in the Bay of Plenty every summer, like every year. And um, the season's getting longer as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, season's getting longer. Winter weddings are becoming a bit more uh, fashionable because they're cheaper. Because uh, venues, you know, do that stuff cheaper to, to kind of attract people over winter. Um, but yeah, there's there's a heap of weddings here. Uh, and do you know what? And I, I hate to speculate why it's getting cool again, but my suspicion is potentially social media has quite a bit to do with it because uh, you get great photos at weddings. You get, uh, you get great videos at weddings and you have good content that you can share and you can talk about and you can put that out there. No, I'm not saying that weddings are getting cool again purely because of social media, but I think <laughs> it's all social, about the content. I think social media is helping. It's helping. What to, about love? Isn't love? Look, love's reasonably important. Um, no, nah, it is. Look, love's the whole love's the whole point of it. And most people that I ask when uh, like one of the questions I have in a ceremony usually because why not put this out on your wedding day is. Uh, what does marriage mean to you and why do you want to get married? And most people say, I want to get married because I want to gather a bunch of my friends and family. Uh, we want to have a damn good time, celebrate some cool stuff that we've ticked off as a couple and just kind of take the relationship to another level. Yeah. I, What's I, your favorite part of being on the radio? Or being working on radio, not necessarily uh, on the radio. Look, my favorite part of working on radio is the fact that you actually get to... Uh, make people feel something and 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 that's a really cool feeling and uh hard to find a job where you get that on such a regular occurrence and uh in a situation that you can do that in multiple ways so very simply uh you play some good music people feel great um you say some things that make people laugh that's awesome they're feeling good uh you give someone a prize great you surprise someone um you help out somebody who needs it um even if you pass an opinion that somebody disagrees with at least it's making them think something and feel something and participate um and yeah there's there's really there's really just such a good vibe around that uh especially at a radio station like the hits which is like our demographic is kind of female skew 25 to 54 so we're talking lots of um kind of lots of mums lots of families um i mean the skew's not massive it's sort of 60 40 female male um so you know lots of people who are kind of about the same sort of stage of life as you that you can just kind of relate to and have a bunch of fun with and um honestly though i've done it for quite a while now and every now and then i do forget that i am actually on a radio station and people are actually listening to this and because every now and then someone will call or someone say something to me that I've just met. And they're like, I was listening the other day and you said this, I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, oh, oh shit, I did say that. Yeah. I forgot that there were people actually listening to this radio It's station. quite a unique kind of job, isn't it, really, isn't it? Oh, mate, you're in a, you're in a as a day show host, you're literally a dude talking to yourself in a padded room. Yeah. Like soundproofing's all padded and stuff. And you're just, you're just <laughs> saying what kind of comes to you. David Bell. What about as a teacher, of, you know, teaching ideas is, I don't know many people that do that. Have you got any sort of tips on, if I say, what I want to increase my ideas when I get better at thinking, what's, what's your go-to tips? 
Well, there's there's only one tip, and that is you've got to have lots of ideas. How do I get how do I get more ideas? Well, <laughs> funny enough, uh, well, you the listener, you you won't know this, but Adrian is one of my old students, but from a long, long way back, two thousand and two, and I think in in the early second year of the course, and I think back in the day, I hadn't even really picked up on this. But there's this thing called the quota method. Um, it's an Edward de Bono thing. And it was a guy, oh, what was his name? Tom Davis, I think, or Tim Davis, who's a Aussie creative director. He said, you've got to look at this thing, the quota method. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an A3 sheet with 50 boxes on it, and you have to fill all 50 boxes. And you start at the beginning, and you go through the pain barrier, and you get to the end of it, and the, and the first boxes will be the same ideas everyone else has, and the last boxes will be just drivel garbage because you, your brain's turned to mush. Somewhere in the middle of there, there will be a there will be a new idea, a genuine idea that will will be different, creative, and solve the problem, and all that sort of stuff. So that's the first thing you've got to have lots of ideas. But the the second thing, and that came out of a book called The Technique for Producing Ideas which is a tiny little book. Uh, I have to say I'm desperately trying to remember the name of the author. I'll, I'll put that in, in my... I've got it at home. I'll put it in my list of yeah. readings. And, and, and the thing it says about that is it, it's, it's the only time I've ever had someone define what an idea is, which is it's uh, joining two things that already exist and the joining produces something new. And it's brilliant because when you go, when you do your 50 yard issue, you begin to look at it and say, well, what have I joined here? Is there, is there something joined? Is there, is there something new? Or is it just a, a pun? Or is it just a, something you've seen before? When you, can, when, you, when you do the work and then you can look at it slightly you know, from a different perspective and say, what have I joined here? Then, then that helps as well. But at the end of the day, you, you, you can't do that until you've actually gone through a certain pain barrier of, trying to generate ideas. And of course, there are all sorts of other things you can do. Every book written by Edward de Bono will give you a starting point for having mm. ideas. And there's whack on the side of their head and so many different books. You know, it's like a self-help. Yeah, if you want to write it, if you want to be successful in writing, write a self-help book about how to have ideas. Someone's already read, uh, written it. Um, but even you could read all of those books. It's not until you actually start. You got to do it. Still, scribbling you? it, yeah. and, and again, write write words and draw scribbles, yeah. and and you'll start seeing patterns, and that's when you when you see the ideas popping out. That's 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 my bottom line to do lots. Okay. Any final thoughts on on your book Voyage of Writing? Yes, I I can hardly recommend it. Anyone out there who's got a book in them. And they say, oh, I can't write. Well, that's exactly how I felt about it. And, and I just started doing it. I had a compulsion to do it. And I did it. And it was the most enjoyable thing ever. And I don't make, I, you, know, I, you know, for all sorts of reasons, I have sold super huge amounts of it. That's not the point. It's the, it's the doing it and having ideas and getting it down and getting it out of you. It's, you've got to scratch that itch. It's great fun. It really is. Um, you, you you know what your story is, but it's the telling of it is the good fun. So I recommend it. It's a, one of the most pleasurable experiences I've ever had. Robert Stack.
Expats come from all over. I think like when Taiwan first, when back in 99, everyone was, a lot of people were from Canada. So, and or England and UK. But now, like top population of Taiwan, there's, much, there's like a lot of teachers from South Africa. So the rugby teams have changed. And then I also play on a Taipei team. And they have, um, they have players from all over the world because there's lots of kids on like international scholarships. Oh. So we've got people from PNG. And um, you, do, they, you do tour overseas as well, don't you? Yeah, we, we usually go to the Philippines twice a year. For rugby. For rugby. How does the team go? I said it's a bit social as well, isn't it? It's not like it's. Well, there's a. There's we a have mix. A, for the first tournament we play in is uh, Open Comp and Vets. So our Open team usually gets runners up or second in the second or third division. So, and then the Vets, we made the finals this year, but we got beaten by a team from Fiji. You've actually been here long enough, you could actually represent Taiwan, couldn't you? I could, but I'm, I'm a terrible rugby player. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to start on my Australian wallaby jokes, but I'll hold, I'll hold off on those since we're so early in the interview. Because <laughs> you, you did study in New Zealand, but you are Australian. We'll just clear that up. Yeah, I'm from Australia. My parents moved when I was 15, so I did my uh, sixth and seventh form in New Zealand in Hawke's Bay. So that, that was probably more of a cultural shock than Taiwan, I'd, I'd say, <laughs> coming from Brisbane. That's <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Have you got a, what would be, a, sorry, I say, a top tip for people uh, maybe just working in a different country and a different culture? Any sort of tip, top tips or advice? I think resilience. You're always going to be resilient. You're going to, you know, people are always going to knock you down. Yeah. Or, so you always just got to get up and try again. Yeah.